And one story that always kind of captures my imagination the streets lost culture. <laughs> and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Last week, we brought you a story that we made in collaboration with the podcast 99% Invisible about the growing problem of ship abandonment in the Middle East. And if you haven't heard that episode, I'd really suggest you go back and listen to that first because it'll help explain some of the context for what you're about to hear. There's a lot of complex inner workings to ship abandonment, but to be super simplistic about it, it's when a ship owner can't afford the costs of running the ship anymore. Can't afford port fees, fuel costs, or staff salaries, or all of the above. And so they just go dark. In these situations, they'll stop communicating with the crew, stop answering calls, and leave them stuck on board, indefinitely. And there was this one moment during the episode last week where Andy Bowerman, he's the regional director of Mission to Seafarers in the UAE, it's an organization that helps seafarers out when they've been abandoned by their owners, there was this one moment where Andy started telling us about this particularly bad case that he worked on in the UAE recently. So bad that it became a transnational crisis. So just on the horizon, you probably can't quite make it out, is Sharjah. This is from a video Andy filmed while he was working on this case. It was off the coast of Sharjah, which is in the United Arab Emirates, and it's one of the UAE's biggest cities. One of the wealthiest cities on the planet. And yet here we are, just a few miles out on yet another abandoned vessel. In 2018, Andy started providing assistance to a crew, which meant driving a small speedboat the 25 nautical miles or so out to this massive cargo ship. And he would hand off basic aid to the crew of about nine seafarers who, in the end, were stuck on board their vessel for 39 months. It's a sort of strange sensation, really. It's uh, in some ways an idyllic setting. It's 40-odd degrees, sea is calm, sky is blue... Uh, we're loading provisions yet again uh, onto this vessel that's been here now for more than two years. The ship was called the MV Tamim Dud, and it was traveling from Fujairah in the UAE to Iraq. But soon after leaving, their engine broke down off the coast of the UAE, and they asked their ship owners to help, and they said they'd send someone. But they never did, and the crew started to realize that they had been abandoned. The situation on board got more and more serious as their abandonment dragged on for months, and then from months to years. It was one of the most severe cases of abandonment that Andy had worked on. They had very little uh, fuel, so they were running almost entirely on blackout, so no air conditioning. Um, you know, through the summer, that's pretty tricky. It's 45 degrees here. Until eventually, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Anyway, they got so desperate, they abandoned, they physically abandoned the ship, which meant they got in the life pod and came towards shore. And what happened to them after they jumped ship? Well, that's our story today. In last week's episode, we went into the loopholes that allow for seafarers to fall into this kind of legal limbo. And this week, really, it's a story about what happens when those processes break down, what happens in the extreme cases, and about one crew who were forced into an unimaginable situation and whether they ever made it back home. I'm Dana Balutz, and this is Kerning Cultures, stories from the Middle East and North Africa, 
and the spaces in between. Our story today comes from producer Alex Atak. Okay, now I see your video, but... Oh, hello? Hi, sir. Yes, sir. Hi, Mr. Vikash. How are you? Good evening, sir. This is Vikash Mishra. Uh, He was the second engineer on board the MV Tamim Aldar. I spoke to him over Zoom from his home in Mumbai. One minute. He's got two young kids uh, who were on vacation when we spoke, and they were running in and out of the room while we were doing our interview. You might hear them from time to time. Vikash is 36 years old now, and he's been working as a seafarer for about 15 years, mostly in India. Uh, Never I face any problem. But uh, unfortunately, in my last uh, company, I have some trouble and all. In October 2016, he took an eight-month contract to work on board the MV Tamim Aldar. It was his first time working in the Middle East, and he told me that they were contracted to pay him about $2,500 a month which is a little bit less than he'd earned on other ships, but he was training for an engineering exam, and this gig would basically have just been good experience for that. He was supposed to be home by April 2017. Yes, actually, my plan was to come back in uh, either April or May, max to max. And at that time, my daughter, she was eight months old. So it was difficult to go, but as a mariner, life is like that. But it was difficult and that's why my plan was that that only six to seven months I will work and I will come back. Then I will spend some time with my family and after that I will go for my exam and all. So he got his visa sorted and flew out from Mumbai to Bahrain where he met the rest of his crew and together they all boarded the MV Tamim Aldar. He said that at first he didn't feel like anything was wrong or unusual. Actually, Vassal, when... When I joined, that time vessel was looked like a new. Means uh, all pending and everything they have done. But after they set off into the Gulf and down towards the UAE, he told me that the crew started to notice small things weren't right. For instance, the bedding they'd been given was old and heavily used. The crew's accommodation wasn't as clean as it should have been. You can see... How many cockroaches? This is from a video that Vikash recorded while he was on board. How to survive in this situation? The job that they'd been contracted to do was to deliver shipments of construction stone between Fujairah in the UAE and Iraq. So this is the kind of stone that goes into building pavements, bridges, roads. It's a raw material that you probably don't think about a lot. But like 90% of the stuff that surrounds us every day, it gets to us on board a cargo ship. Over the next few months, between October and April, they made this trip four times. As a round trip, it takes about 15 to 20 days. And for the first couple of months, things were fine. The ship wasn't perfect, but he was getting paid. And anyway, his contract would be up in April, so he didn't have much longer to go. But then the company, they were called Elite Way Marine Services, they started behaving weirdly, delaying the crew's salary payments, promising they'd pay next month and then the next month. And then in April 2017, which was when Vikash's contract was due to finish, they asked if he could just do a few more charters, a few more trips between Fujairah and Iraq. So we loaded our cargo and we were going to discharge it in Iraq. But in between, our tailors have got the damage. Vikash says they had a fault with the tiller shaft, which, without going into too much detail, 
is basically the piece of machinery that steers the ship. And uh, because of that, we are unable to move our vessel. So we may drop our anchor. I think 27 or 28 nautical mile away from the shore. So when the tiller shaft broke down and they weren't able to repair it, the crew got in touch with the company basically just to let them know. And the company told them they'd help them sort it out ASAP. But two weeks later, they still hadn't, and the crew were starting to run out of supplies. So we understand that now situation of company is very, uh, not very good, and it is going to be abandoned. So that's when they contacted Mission to Seafarers, uh, which is where Andy works, and they started to help them out as best they could. Every couple of weeks, two staff members uh, from the group would make the trip out to the abandoned vessel on a little speedboat, uh, about 25 nautical miles off the coast of the UAE, to deliver them basic supplies, so rice, blankets, water, SIM cards, that kind of thing. It is literally uh, me and typically one other member of our team uh, on a small speedboat, um, pulling up alongside and climbing up a 15-foot rope ladder to get to the ship. This is Andy again, regional director at Mission to Seafarers. Um, and when you're a man of my age and lack of mobility, that's quite a, daunt- that's quite a daunting experience, I can tell you. Uh, the crew uh, also have those same mixed feelings. Uh, delighted we're here to bring fresh vegetables and water and uh, chicken, but also saddened that after yet another few weeks have passed, they're still here, still waiting, uh, still hoping that... Uh, the owner, the authority, somebody will ensure that they get uh, what is rightfully theirs, that they'll get some justice. Every now and again, the crew were able to contact their families uh, with the phones Mission to Seafarers gave them, but without their paychecks coming through, their families back home sank into debt. When did you first contact your family to tell them that you were abandoned, and what was that conversation like? What did they say? Actually, I didn't say uh, that we are facing abandonment to our family. Oh my gosh. I just, I said that, okay, wait, just wait, I'm, I will come. And I we are getting our salary timely, but the problem is how I can transfer that salary because they are giving us cash in hand. Can I ask why, why didn't you want to tell your family the truth that you were abandoned? Unnecessarily, they will get panic. Already they were in panic because... Uh, we are unable to send them money and uh, we are unable to communicate even. So you just didn't want to worry them? Yes, that's why we are not informing. I'm not informing, actually. As the months went on and he still wasn't coming home, Vikash eventually had to tell his family what was really happening. He told them a year after he'd left home. Mission to Seafarers arranged a one-time donation of $1,250 for each of the Seafarers' families. But obviously, that money didn't last very long. Vikash told me that his family had burned through their savings over the first year of his abandonment. And when that money was gone, they couldn't afford basic things like the rent on their apartment or his son's school fees. I borrowed so much money with my relatives and friends. So again, to ask them that please provide us some more more money, it was also very embarrassing. And as the situation dragged on, The conditions on board just kept getting worse and worse. They were anchored near a shipping lane and they couldn't keep their lights on 24-7, so at night they were just surrounded by this heavy blackness. The only light they could see were pinpricks in the distance from the skyscrapers along the UAE's coastline. 
we can see the Burj Khalifa even we can see slightly dim but we can see Burj Khalifa In the day, they'd pass the time by keeping the ship as clean and maintained as possible with the few tools that they had. And they still had their shipment of stone on board, so sometimes they'd play a game where they tried to count them all or just figure out which one was the biggest. Biggest stone, I think one stone is uh, more than 10 ton, 20 ton, like that. Sometimes they'd play cricket on the ship's deck. But cricket, playing cricket also was not easy because uh, it was in, we are in mid-sea. Yeah. So if we will play cricket and ball will go in seas and it will not return back. <laughs> so so you had to be make, careful not to uh, not to hit sixes. No, we make uh, ball by rope. Oh, genius! Their daily routine was basically wake up with the sun about five o'clock in the morning and then start to think about food. So often this meant fishing over the side of the boat and eating whatever they could catch. If there was cleaning to be done, they'd do that together. And then they do whatever minor repair work they could do to keep the ship from sinking. He told me that whatever they did, they tried to always do it as a team. So uh, to cut our hair, it is also very big task. So in our uh, first aid kit, there is a one Caesar was there. So we searched that, okay, where is the Caesar? Then we are cutting hair of each other. So slowly, slowly, everyone is uh, become a barber. They understand that how to catch the, cut the hair. When they had fuel, they tried to run their generator for four hours a day to make food and pump out any excess water that was starting to gather on the floor of the deck as the ship began to deteriorate. But it kept getting worse, and then at one point the ship began to take on more water and started listing, or leaning over to one side. Uh, you probably can't tell from this, but it's listing uh, quite badly. Uh, it's, it's rusty. And it was very rough. Captain... So uh, when the rough weather hits, the side of the ship then water come across the deck so it it is not safe at all to be on board and even we don't have diesel and also it is very difficult because ship can sink anytime after the break vikash and his crew drop their lifeboat and try to escape to land When we left off, the MV Tamim al-Dar was listing and getting more dangerous by the day. At night, they were scared the ship was going to capsize. And because of the bad weather, missions to seafarers couldn't deliver them any new supplies. Their situation was deteriorating quickly now, and they had a short window to act. So on the first calm day, they decided to drop their lifeboat, which was this tiny orange dinghy with a roof, which in itself was in really bad shape, and just head to shore. It was very scary, but we don't have any option. I, we thought at that time, we thought that it is the best way. In a letter before they left that they addressed to the UAE's Federal Transport Authority, they explained why they were doing it. To paraphrase, the company wasn't paying any attention to us to solve the problem. Both the main generators weren't operational and the main engine had also failed. The vessel was listing and it was a danger to all of our lives. We're depressed and helpless, and the company aren't giving us any option except to abandon the vessel. So we're going to Umal Kowain Harbour. Kindly meet us when we get there. But they were picked up just off of shore by the Coast Guard, um, who, who took them ashore, gave them a nice meal. But during the meal, kind of said to them, um, well, you have a choice. We, we can't allow you to leave 10,000 tonnes of ship 
unmanned anchorage. So we have to detain you if, if that's what you're saying you want to do, because that's illegal. Or you can go back to the ship. They didn't have a choice. They say the Coast Guard told them that they'd face up to two years in prison if they left the ship unmanned, although the Federal Transport Authority deny this. Or they could go back and carry on waiting. So they were driven back to the ship on a small launcher boat by the UAE authorities. But they'd managed to draw attention to how dire their situation was. What followed were months of complex negotiations between the Federal Transport Authority and the ship's owners, while the crew were still getting support from mission to seafarers. They stayed on the ship for another six months, and then eventually, after The Guardian covered the story and the case got some media attention, the shipping company agreed to pay up to 80% of the crew's wages. Vikash was owed about 78,000 US dollars. He ended up getting paid about 80% of that. And then the crew went home in phases. The people who stayed the longest, and Vikash was one of them, were there for about 39 months in total. When, uh, when I come to know that now I am going to come Mumbai, so I informed my wife first. I said, OK, I'm coming. He told me that when he arrived at the airport, his kids actually didn't recognise him at first. He'd been gone for so long, and they were so young when he left and used to only seeing him through a blurry WhatsApp video call. But also, he looked completely different. Yes, actually, yes, 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 of course. When uh, I was... Uh, when I joined, actually my hair, you can see, it was not like that before. When I joined this vessel and due to seawater, we are taking shower in seawater. And there is a no, there is a no proper hygiene. So the problem was because of that, uh, my face also changed a little bit. And uh, my beards all started uh, white before it was fully black. Right now, Vikash has been home for just over a year, and he told me that he's training now for his next qualification in engineering. So you will go back and work on ships? Actually, my plan is uh, I will join back, but I will ensure that it is I'm not going to join again in Gulf area. I will join in India only. But does, does the idea of being on a ship again, like... Does how do you feel about just getting back onto a ship? Is that scary or does that feel strange? Or actually, now I'm not worried because now I have as much experience that nobody can trap me again. In the case of the MV Tamim Aldar, the crew's proactive campaigning for their rights and Andy Bauman's help were key to getting them home with their wages. Vikash told me that they probably would have had to go home without pay if Mission to Seafarers hadn't stepped in. But all of this isn't technically Mission to Seafarers' responsibility, or at least it shouldn't be. The crew's well-being is the responsibility of the ship's owner or the flag state, and we talked about all of the problems surrounding that in the previous episode. In the few years that Andy has been doing this work with a focus on the Middle East, the number of abandonment cases has been steadily going up. He's been in the UAE for two years, and before 2020, his average case low was about 60 seafarers at any one time. In 2020, it's been more like 150 to 200. And the situations that turn into crises are becoming more common. I spoke to the UAE's Federal Transport Authority for this story, and they told me they're working on a new law that would make it possible for the UAE authorities to take control of the ship and auction it off. In theory, that would make it much quicker to resolve abandonment cases, 
and Cruz wouldn't be forced into the kind of situation that Vikash was in. But this law is yet to come into effect. The UAE has just introduced a new law, which makes it mandatory for ship owners to have insurance to cover their seafarers' wages in case they run into financial trouble like Elite Way Marine Services did. But right now, as I'm speaking to you in May 2021, there are currently eight crews made up of about 130 seafarers abandoned on ships off the coast of the UAE. We tried to contact the company who owned the MV Tamim Adar for the story, Elite Way Marine Services, but weren't able to get through to them. Andy told us that they're not currently operating, although they also haven't officially been dissolved. This episode was produced by Alex Atak and edited by me, Dana Balut, with editorial support and fact-checking from Zena Duaidar and Nadine Shakir. Fact-checking by Tamara Jubouri. Sound design was by Alex Atak and mixing was by Mohamed Khrezat. Bella Ibrahim is our marketing director. A special thanks to Vikash Mishra, Andy Bauman and Captain Abdullah Al-Hayas for speaking to us for this episode. And to Ayushi Shah, who took a six-hour round trip to help us record Vikash's interview at his home in Mumbai. Special thanks to Martha Shlee for suggesting this story to us in the first place. Kerning Cultures is a production of the Kerning Cultures Network. It's a network of beautifully crafted stories about the Middle East in both Arabic and English. Find out more about Kerning Cultures at kerningcultures.com, that's Kerning with a K, or searching for Kerning Cultures Network wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.